invite you to take your Bible out with me and open to Isaiah chapter 64, Isaiah 64, and if you do not have a Bible with you, there are Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. You can take one of those out and follow along. Isaiah 64, 12 verses is uh, all we're looking at today. And uh, if you do not own a Bible, take one of those that we have there and uh, take it and use it as a gift from us, okay? So that would be great. Isaiah 64. So uh, something I want you to do with me today as we walk through this I want to challenge you as we, we walk through this section of scripture in terms of redemptive history, I, I want us to understand once again where Isaiah was at the time he wrote these words and what it was like that these things he was praying for and what he wanted to see going forward and then take a step back. So see all of that, what Isaiah is seeing at that time frame, take a step back and say, okay, where are we in redemptive history? Where are we today? What principles can, can we take from this chapter that enables us to get on board with what God is doing in our generation today and the unfinished work that is yet left to go. Because the only reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is what? Work's not done yet. Work's not done yet. So let's take a running start at Isaiah 64, going back a little bit into Isaiah 60 and move on in that. Isaiah 60 gives us this incredible vision of Zion and it says, in Isaiah 60, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord shines upon you. Behold, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. And in the rest of that chapter, there's this river of glory flowing into Zion, this glorious city, and the language is overwhelming and, and glorious and incredible that it goes beyond anything that happened in that city, the physical city of Jerusalem. And so there's this prediction in Isaiah 60 of this glorious Zion. And then Isaiah 61 begins with these incredible words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives and recover from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. And as we studied those words, we, we understood that this was actually then quoted by the Lord Jesus Christ himself as he began his public ministry in his hometown. And he was declaring himself to be the anointed one, the Messiah. He said then in that section there that we see in the New Testament, today in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. And he announced then the year of the Lord's favor, the year of his grace. He didn't mention, though, at that point, the day of vengeance of our God. 
but it's there in the text. And then Isaiah 62, at the beginning of the chapter there, we have Jesus speaking just as he does in Isaiah 61, saying, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn and her salvation like the blazing torch and the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory and you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be crown of, there will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand and no longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate. So this is the vision that Jesus has, a passion that's in his heart, a burning passion for the final glory of Zion. Now Zion, once again in the Old Testament, meant the city of Jerusalem. But here it's obvious that it goes beyond the physical city of Jerusalem and what God had planned for that city to something that's eternally glorious. And what the book of Revelation reveals is this new Jerusalem It's descent from heaven, it's radiant, and it's beautiful, and it's perfect. It's the people of God redeemed from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's the bride of Christ, and there's this glorious wedding. Remember we talked about that? This glorious wedding, a union of God with his people through Christ forever and ever. And then Isaiah 62, it says, I've posted watchmen on your walls. They will never be silent day or night. You call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. And then we have, starting the last part of Isaiah 63, and here in Isaiah 64, these prayers This prayer that Isaiah says, and first there in 63, what does he say? Lord, look down from heaven. And in this section of the prayer, Isaiah pleads for God's visitation to come down on on Judah. And Isaiah's desire was to witness uh, a visible, a dramatic manifestation of God's power, his presence. And as we walk through this prayer over the next few minutes, I want these questions to be hanging in the back of your mind. One, do I have the same desire that Isaiah had so long ago? So when when we read this prayer, do I have that same desire? Two, do I desire to see God visit us in our situation? Do I desire to see God visit us today in our situation? And three, do we, do I desire the the miracle working power of God to intervene on our behalf? Because that's what Isaiah is doing here. First, he's longing for the presence of God. Let's look at Isaiah 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, 
to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. I mean, in other words, what Isaiah is saying here is, Lord, we need an unusual divine event as it goes on through these verses here. We're thankful, Lord, for your steady blessings day by day. But these are desperate times. Please, 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 as it says, rend, rip open. Rip open the heavens and come down. He's saying, we're in a pathetic situation here, Lord. We need more blessing than we've ever seen before. We need the unmistakable intervention of God. I think we need that today. Have you ever been times in your Christian life where maybe someone entered the room and you just know after the experience, you go, I think that was just visited by an angel. I think the presence of God was here for a special reason at this point in this time right now for a special situation. Have you, have you ever experienced that? It's pretty wild. And, and the history of God's people tells us that. Some of you may be going, oh no, he's getting kind of Pentecostally on us. No. I want you to hear the words of Jonathan Edwards. In 19, in 19, that'd be pretty cool. In 1735, something happened in New England, and Jonathan Edwards recorded what he saw. And I just want to read it to you. I won't put any of my own editorial comments in there. I just, I just want to read it. For you. The town seemed to be full of the presence of God. It never was so full of love nor of joy, and yet so full of distress as it was then. There were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. It was a time of joy in families on account of salvation being brought unto them. Parents rejoicing over their children as newborn and husbands over their wives and wives over their husbands. Our public assemblies were then beautiful. The assembly in general was from time to time in tears while the word was preached, some weeping with sorrow and distress others with joy and love, others with pity and concern for the souls of their neighbors. All he was doing was like, man, this is pretty special what's going on here. But did you see the concern for the world around them, the lost? And God was moving. And he still moves today. God moves today in our world. 
I think sometimes we forget how in different areas of our world things are going on that are pretty wild. I saw an article this week where Christianity is growing the most right now in our world. Number one, Iran. Nigeria, China, the Philippines, India, Brazil, Indonesia, Kenya, South Africa, Ethiopia, and then Tanzania, the top 11 there. And you go, that's pretty crazy. That's, that's neat. Now, as a whole, American Christianity <laughs> is kind of drifting into uh, kind of a historic nothingness. And yet so many believers are just coasting along with it. Yet I think if we really, really let the Lord stir our hearts, we would be praying this prayer of Isaiah. Lord, rip the heavens open. We need something miraculous in our culture where we live today. We, we need to have some urgency, everyone. We need to have some longing for God's movement. We're, we're too often, I think, even oblivious of our mediocrity. I think if we're not careful because of everything going around in our lives and where we live, we lose the vision of the prophets and the apostles. We forget that to whom much is given, much is required. I mean, Luke 12, 48, it says it right there, but the one who did not know and committed deeds worthy of a beating will receive but a few. For everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. I mean, look around even in our expression of the local church here at West Hills. I mean, every once in a while, you should just walk around this campus. And if you really do, and if you, with your eyes open, you go, man, we've been blessed to have all of this space in this big, huge city for what purpose? To share the gospel. To build people up in him. Yeah, we got to mow the lawn. Yeah, we got to fix the parking lot. From day to day, we got to deal with plumbing. But we've been blessed to, to much that has been given, much is required. And, and so what should we do? Well, I think we need to choose to accept the inconvenient, disturbing, question-provoking, 
ego-humbling, prayer-stimulating, church-changing, prophetic burden that the glory of God would come down upon us today, and we need to pray about that. We need to embrace that longing. We need to live with it. We need to pray for that. I, I want to die with that in my heart. And we need to stand open to God. So we, like Isaiah, we say, okay, rend the heavens open. Come down, Lord. And then verse 3, we stay open to God. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. And what we can do is once again look back to the past and see what God's work has been done in the past and let it teach us. And it's actually, it will teach us something. It will teach us that God is unpredictable. It will teach us that God is surprising. Now, God never acts out of his character. And God never contradicts his own word. So you have the bedrock of faith and the solid foundation of his word and who he is. But he never... God was never at a loss for new ways to break through to the generation at that time. I think of Israel concerned and cornered at the Red Sea. The Egyptian army bearing down on them. What happened? Sea opens up. Were they expecting that? No. No one was expecting that. The whole world was stumbling in darkness. No way forward. What happens? The Savior of the world is born in a barn. Man, people weren't expecting that. We were condemned in our own inexcusable guilt. We had no defense. What happens? Our judge endures the penalty, our penalty, at the cross. No one was expecting that. He was dead and buried. What happened? He rose from the grave. Ascended to the Father. Began pouring out his spirit to make his murderers, his friends. No one was expecting that. So I believe it is time for us again to pray this prayer. Oh Lord, would you rend the heavens open and come down and do awesome things that we're not looking for. Surprise us again, God. Verse 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him, who acts for those. Unlike our idols, unlike their idols, what does God do? He acts. God acts. No one has ever put their trust in God in vain. 
Now, we may ask for the wrong things, but we can never get ahead of God with the true thoughts of His greatness, true longings for His power. We, we never, ever can have a vision bigger than God's vision to save the world. We will never, ever ask God to do His revealed will and hear God reply to us, uh, I'll try. I mean, what does Paul say in Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21 about God's power? Now to Him who is able to do what? Far more abundantly beyond that, that which we ask or understand according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. God has always acted on behalf of those who wait for the Lord and obey Him with a joyful heart. And I get that the whole waiting on the Lord thing is kind of a bummer at times. But we have no reason at all to believe that God will not save. That God will not redeem. That God will not show up. We need to understand a complete vision of God all the way out to the full extent of the Bible. And that's why we don't, we don't say it this way sometimes, but expanding the vision all the way out to the very ends of the Bible. At the very ends of the Bible, what happens? New heaven, new earth, we're with Christ, all is perfect. You, you can't beat that vision. You need to have a little faith that God will move in His time and in His way. We need to we need to have faith. Verse 5, you meet Him who joyfully works right, righteousness those who remember you in your ways. So what, what does God do? He, he meets not the quote-unquote brilliant one, not the lucky one, but the one who's joyful, the one who is humbly going along in a simple, ordinary path. And this is key. What is the simple, ordinary path? The simple, ordinary path of obedience to him. And that is where God is. Not with, you're not going to find God, some guru on a mountaintop. You're not going to find some sort of incredible power with some palm reader here on Fallbrook. <laughs> That's not where God's going to be found. You'll find Satan. You'll find them big time.
You don't wait for ideal conditions. You just live your life for Him. You meet Him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. You know what we do? We live our life and remember Him. And when you remember Him, and you remember His ways, it starts to make you think, are God's ways my ways? It's an important question to ask. Would God be watching this right now? Would Jesus be participating in this right now? Is, is God the center of your lifestyle, not an add-on optional part B? You see, the adjustment worth making to put him at the center of your life, according to Scripture, is worth everything. And then Isaiah moves into really a, a lamentation for, for sin in the second part of verse 5. Behold, you were angry. Indeed, we have sinned. We continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind carry us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who awakens himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have melted us into the hand of our iniquities." I think the important thing to remember here is that day by day, as we move into the future in our lives, we are not writing our lives on a blank page. Uh, the pages of our heart are crowded with stains and, and, and things that are crossed out in misspellings, uh, incomplete erase, eraser marks. You guys remember before there were computers, there was this stuff called paper? <laughs> and you'd get something in the mail, and someone would, would write something, and when they made a mistake, and they didn't want to redo the whole letter, what would they do? Yes! <laughs> and after you got done sniffing it, oh, that's a different story. But you would, yeah, you would get white out. You'd have eraser marks. You would have all of that. You, you knew the writing wasn't perfect. You could see it was complicated. And, and Isaiah gets that. Matter of fact, for those of you who, who love literature, did you notice that there are four similes in that part? of that, that little prayer. You see the word like, like a leaf. There's four of them. And he's giving us this 
this understanding to help us recover a, a more realistic view of where we've been. You know, first, like an unclean leper. It's basically saying, you know, I could warn everyone I meet, hi, I am Scott Julian, and I'm contagious with the leprosy of sin. Better keep your distance. Because I, in my own power, would be really good at messing up your life. And, and, and that's the first one we see. The second one we see is that even at our best moments, when we do what's right, we're not as good as we think we are. It says all our righteous deeds are what? They're like a polluted garment. So it's not just our sins that stink, it's even our righteousness and our own works that stinks. Isaiah acknowledges that God hides his face from those who refuse to walk in his way, call on his name. It's, it's, It's important to understand that we need to put our trust in God rather than attempt to secure our own future because our own righteous deeds, they stink. And when we try to do it ourselves, it leads us to ignoring God's laws, actually. And that's what we see around us. People trying to do things on their own. Well, I think this is the best thing for me, so I will live this way. It doesn't work. Third, what does he say there? Our, our lives fade away like an autumn leaf. Now, for those who've never lived outside of the Los Angeles area, leaves will fall and die in the autumn. I know they do that here too. But, but the picture here is, you know, hey, we don't, we don't last How many in the room here are painfully aware that physically you're not the same as a few years ago? Anyone want to raise their hands and agree with me on that? We're easily depleted, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually depleted when we try to live on our own. We just don't last. And then our iniquities, like the wind, what does the wind do with leaves? Blows it all around. Takes control of us, moves us in directions we never, ever meant to go. Our sin will take us in places we never thought possible. And I will just stand before you now and say, when I look at what is happening in our culture, specifically in this world, I would be the first one to say, I never thought it was possible. 
that what was wrong could be seen as so right by so many, yet it's so evil. And we, and we see echoes of that in Deuteronomy 31, but I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do. For they will turn to other gods. Do you think, you think that's happening? Do you think people are turning to other gods? So here's, here's the deal. We first got to deal with us, myself, and as we see here in Isaiah's prayer, we are not very good at taking hold of the only one who can save us. You know, I, I don't need to be delivered from my enemies in a, a certain way. Primarily, I need to be delivered from myself. And the only way to do that is to look into the one, the very one that I've offended. And get on my knees and act like a man and pray for forgiveness. Because he is our hope. And in that, I, you know what I'm longing for? I, I don't know where you guys are all at today. But what we see here in, in verse 8 and 9 is just that longing for the touch of God. But now, O Yahweh, you are our Father. We are the clay. And you are our potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. I know some of you are thinking of some songs right now. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Yahweh, nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are your people. And what this way of praying is doing and what it does is it's glorifying God because it expresses, you know what, our radical need for him. We're the clay. He's the potter. We need his touch to redesign us to reshape us, to be what he wants us to be. And what this is simply saying is, when was the last time a pot made itself? Yeah, pretty universal, never. God holds then all of the power, like a potter over clay. And that doesn't discourage prayer. That actually makes me want to pray more. In his sovereignty, the potter-clay relationship is an incredible, actually, incentive to pray. We can pray with confidence for this reason. We are the clay. He is the potter. He is able. What is a potter able to do? Reshape. He is able to touch us again. And boy, do we need it. And we need it again and again and again. And God has many different methods of touching us. 
Isaiah's not asking that God wouldn't discipline. <laughs> it is not fun to be reshaped. But you know what? It, God's discipline hurts, but it doesn't destroy. By God's own choice, we are his people under his hand. So he is the potter that reshapes us into what he wants us to be. Psalm 103, know that Yahweh, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 79, 13, but as for us, as your people and the sheep of your pasture, we give thanks to you forever. Why? Because we're his people. He's guiding us. He's directing us. He's shaping us. He's touching us and reshaping us from generation to generation, we will recount your praise. And so there in verses 8 and 9, we see a very clear picture of God, please reshape me. Touch me. And then he ends in these last three verses with this appeal. Verse 10, your, your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire. And all our precious things have become a wasted place. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Yahweh? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? You see, the Jewish people returned from Babylon to literally the ruins of Jerusalem. The temple had been burned down. Everything was a wreck. And that mattered. It did, because Jerusalem at the time represented the government of God on earth. The Jewish people came back to a depressing scene with memories of how great it had once been. So they appealed to God. They're saying, God, look at this mess. Look, look what we've been reduced to. Look how your cause has suffered. And they admitted it was their fault. We deserve nothing, but your name is upon us. So we turn to you. Will you ignore us? And do you see that there where you restrain yourself? You put yourself into us. Will you restrain yourself at the sight of your cause here and the ruinness of this weakness that's all around? It reminds me very clearly of Psalm 74 then. How long, O oh God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. But then all of a sudden, what does the psalmist do in verse 12? Right after that statement, yet God, my king, is from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. And that reminds me of the fact that 
Oh yeah, in the midst of the darkness, look at how God is moving. The greatest prayer, as we close here, the greatest prayer we can pray is for God to do His will. For His glory, in His way, by His gospel, in our generation. Without restraint. And I think as we see here, that's a prayer God loves to hear. God, please do your will for your glory in your way by your gospel in our generation without restraint. He's the one who gave us this prayer. Remember all scripture is given by God, inspired by him for us to grow and to use. So who gave us this prayer? He did. God gave us this prayer. He's the one who gave it to us. He's the one that creates newness out of ruins. When we bow low before God and say, God, as far as I'm concerned, don't restrain yourself. Have it all. Have your way with me. Have your way with West Hills Church. Have your way with all of the fellowship of believers in the Los Angeles area. Have your way with all of the believers in the United States. Work in your way according to your gospel in our generation. And Lord, please, without restraint. And I will tell you, first of all, one of the things that happens is it will be uncomfortable for us. Oh, it'll be pretty cool, but it'll be uncomfortable. Remember that list of the places where God's doing amazing things and Christianity is growing and growing and growing. None of those places uh, come without persecution. A heavy dose of, dose of it. So I think we have to humbly bow our knee and say, God, have your way with me, with, with all of it, freely, entirely, and just say, but God, let me be a part of it. Let, let, let me be a part of your movement and how you're moving today, because that's what Isaiah was saying. I, I just want to be a part of it. I know it's going to happen. I want to be a part of it. Would you like to be a part of seeing what God does? Well, you are. You are. 
Let's be a part of his movement in this generation today as this prayer asks. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time to be together today to go through this prayer and understand your touch, to understand appealing for your unrestrained movement in our culture today, to be honest and remember our sins and remember what you have saved us from. and to long your presence. To long your presence. And Lord, we pray that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Lord, we pray as fire kindles the wood, as fire causes water to boil, we pray to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. I want to thank you for being with us this morning. We have our prayer time on Thursday night at 6 o'clock, our, our Bible study going through the book of 1 John together on Thursday night at 7. I encourage you to invite uh, friends and neighbors to be here next Sunday as we uh, are in the next to last chapter of the book of Isaiah. Yes, two weeks to go. We have been going through this for about a year and a half now, and we are right at the finish line. Pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? It's pretty cool. So uh, Isaiah chapter 65 next week. Invite your friends and neighbors to be with us. We've got little invite cards you can take anywhere that you have. It's, they're business size cards, and it's more about pointing people to the website, really, than anything else, just so they can find out more about us, listen to some sermons and different things beforehand to see what we're like. And uh, it'd be all great for you to do. Remember the offering box is there in the back as you leave for your Connect cards and offering. And uh, let's just give praise for what God is doing. In, in our lives, and first off, he saved us. He saved us as believers, and if you are not a believer here today, uh, he makes a call to you to believe on him, to believe in him as Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you want to talk more about that and what that means, I'll be down front. Daniel and, and Ron will be in the back. And we would love to share some time with you on that and uh, any prayer requests, anything going on in life. We'll be around here for a while, so feel free to hang out and uh, just enjoy some fellowship with us too, get to know some people. Okay, it is great to see all of you today. Let's just pray together real quickly. Lord.